Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right, I am so glad that you're here with me today. Very excited to get into our study and get into God's Word today. Get into the Bible so we can get it into our lives, so we can get it out of our lives. I see a lot of you are queued up and ready to go. And if you're driving, then just listen along. If you're somewhere where you can follow along with your Bible and some notes, then take some notes. And and um, we're going to, this is going to be a really encouraging day, uh, but it's a, on a difficult topic because we're talking about living and dying for Jesus in the midst of a crazy, crazed culture. And, um, and you know, we think about, we think about uh, the, Christians back in the the Roman Empire, back the early church, and and how they were persecuted so severely. You've heard stories of how Christians were uh, fed to the lions, and they were fed to to dogs, and they were uh, blamed for the burning of Rome. They were they were really dipped in tar, and they were set on fire. Uh, some terrible, terrible persecution that took place against. Christians in the early days, in the early days. And I was just doing a little bit of reading on that. And it was interesting to see how people were like, well, yeah, it happened, but you know, it wasn't so bad. Um, It didn't happen as much. Uh, It wasn't all the government. Sometimes it was just some of their neighbors that would, that would kill them for their faith. And they weren't really killed for their faith. They were killed because, you know, they were blamed for the fire in Rome and and all kinds of ways that we rationalize the brutality that that took place back then. And I believe the same thing would happen today, Uh, people excusing it. You know, well, we're not killing them for their faith, per se. It's because they're standing against this principle. They're they're standing against that. They're, you know, they're trying to save babies when it comes to um, Roe v. Wade. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to stand up against the government and, and this type of uh, rhetoric that we hear out there. But the fact is today there are um, 260 million Christians in the world who are experiencing high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Jesus. 260 million in the top 50 uh, most dangerous countries for Christians alone. One in nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. See, we always want to look at uh, America and and the kind of persecution that we experience here. The fact is, yes, we have a lot of freedom here. So far, we've had freedom. But but around the world, that is just not the case. And we're seeing this, this uh, here, the tide turning against Christians and Christianity here in our very own country. But... Um, 
6%, the rise in the number of Christians in the top 50 countries on the the world watch list who are experiencing high levels of persecution, it's growing uh, by 6%. There are um, nearly 3,000 Christians killed for faith-related reasons in the top uh, 50 persecuted countries. There are 3,700 Christians who have been detained. I'm talking this, this past year without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. Um, nearly 10,000 churches or Christian buildings have been attacked in the past year. Uh, six out of seven uh, countries in seven of the countries in the world watch lists top 10. Um, the, the persecution comes from um, Islamic extremists towards Christians. And, uh, and for 19 consecutive years, North Korea has ranked number one as the world's most dangerous place for Christians. Um, and so why? Why are they targeting Christians around the world? Well, because authoritarian governments view Christianity as a threat to their power, because they are suspicious of anything outside of their majority um, faith, in particular in um, Islamic countries. Um, extremist groups want to destroy Christians out of Hatred. So this is the landscape today that we're looking at, and, and we haven't even really touched what's happening right here in America with religious persecution taking place. But today, as we look at the life of Stephen, we've been looking at him for three weeks now because uh, this is what we know of his life, and, and this is an encouragement to us to stand firm, to stand strong in the middle of persecution, no matter how much it costs. And we're going to get into Acts chapter 7, verse 54. We're going to be looking at 54 through the end of this chapter today. And we, we wonder, why is it that people um, want to are so hateful against Christians? What is it that causes them to lash out and want to persecute and even uh, ridicule, but even kill Christians? What is it? We see it right here in this verse. The reason is a reaction against God himself. It's against God more than anything else. So verse 54 says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, which was Stephen's testimony, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I want you to notice the religious leader's reaction throughout this whole passage, how angry and really how insane they became, how crazy they became. Stephen was on trial for his life. He knew his life was at stake and it was in the balance and he had the chance to defend himself. But instead of actually defending himself and putting up some kind of defense to save his life, instead, he boldly preached a message about the failure of the people to hear God and to obey God. He, show, he showed them how God had called and founded the nation of Israel to go to the promised land and how the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, had rejected God's call and, and they had done this time and time again throughout their whole history of the Old Testament. And, um, and so they even, he, he made some charges against them, including the fact that they were in part responsible for the the crucifixion of Jesus. And so 
<laughs> and, and his message made a difference. Like it was effective. It was convicting. It worked. And they were convicted, the people who heard the message, and they, they could respond one of two ways. Conviction, when you feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, it can go either way. It can either lead you to repent, to turn from your sin and turn to God, or it can cause you, really it's your own choice, but the choice is I'm going to harden my heart even more, and I'm going to turn against God because I'm not going to listen, and I'm going to I'm, in fact, I, I hate God because he is calling what I've done sinful and wrong, and I don't want to bow my knee to him, and so I'm going to reject God, and this was what they did. When they heard this, it's like as they were hearing the words, as they were hearing Stephen's sermon, they, and God, you know, God in his mercy had sent Stephen to them to give them another chance to receive Jesus. But as they heard it, they became furious. The, the, the word here for furious, it means to cut to the heart, to cut, to slice to the heart. It shows how violently they reacted. The response of their hearts was out of anger. It wasn't sorrow. It wasn't conviction that leads to repentance. In fact, they didn't even consider confessing that they had done the wrong thing, that they had been wrong. And so they gnashed. They gnashed their teeth. And gnashing means to bite and to grind your teeth, kind of like a, a pack of wild animals, a pack of wild dogs. They were enraged. They were filled with hatred and anger, and they were ready to kill someone and just unleash the full wrath of their emotions. And when the human heart rebels against God, that's what happens. We get wild. We are tormented and, and, and want to lash out. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, uh, it says, remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. It's, it's an act of mercy when God convicts you of your sin and, and and instead of hardening your heart to that, uh, turn to God, hear and receive his, his voice. That's for your sake, for your peace and for your protection. You know, Stephen was so faithful to speak out the plain and the simple truth. He wasn't trying to preserve his own life. Of course, he also wasn't trying to get killed. He didn't necessarily want to become the first martyr for Christianity and for Christ. But he was not willing to deny the truth just so he could save his own skin. He wanted to share the truth. He, he wanted his own people and his own leaders to hear God's call and be saved. And that's what we're called to do when we're in situations where we're facing persecution, uh, ridicule, difficulty. God wants us to leverage that and use it as a chance, an opportunity to stand up for Jesus in his name not to cower down. 1 Peter 3.15 is a good reminder to us. It says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason or the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay, so we speak the truth in love and don't get defensive. 
You can just you can just stand on the truth, knowing that God is with you, and uh, it, that's hard to do. It's really easy for us to either lash out, to run away, but to stand securely and firmly and confidently. What I call Godfidence to stand there and say, you know, I am standing on the truth of the Word of God, and I, and that doesn't mean that you hate anyone else. It means that you love God and you love people enough to speak the truth. And then let's move on in this because we just looked at one verse, but in in verse fifty five we see that God He's there, He's present with Stephen and with us through persecution. It says, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He, He imagined this incredible vision. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. God is always there. Whenever you're going through a crisis, whenever you're going through trouble, he is there with you, especially when it's this severe. I mean, he's, his presence is always with you. But Stephen experienced the presence of God's Spirit in such a very real, tangible way because he was doing exactly what Jesus had told him to do. He said, go into the world and share the gospel. So because Stephen was being so faithful, he was so faith-filled, he had Jesus' promise in Matthew 28, 20. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So Jesus was there, and we can see what God gives Christians who are staring death in the face. Because we know many, many hundreds of thousands uh, of Christians, millions of Christians throughout history have faced similar circumstances. But we see God filled Stephen with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen, he was always filled. If you're a believer, you have God's Spirit present in your life. But he had a very unique filling of the Spirit um, that gave him power to to go through what he was going through, um, that carried him through to the end. And and God gave Stephen a vision of heaven so he could actually get a glimpse into what was waiting for him, the spiritual world, the very real spiritual world that in so many ways is even more real than the world that you and I live in. And he saw the glory of God. and. you know, this this picture, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, Jesus is usually said to be sitting at the Father's right hand, and that's the picture of his authority. That's the picture of Jesus as our mediator between us and God. But here he's seen standing. He's honoring Stephen. He's ready to receive Stephen. Just imagine how incredible this moment was, and that's exactly what is ahead for you and I as we live and die for Jesus. And even more, that's just the beginning. That's just the first moment. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as a follower of Jesus, you will pass from this life into the next world immediately and not even experiencing death as we sometimes imagine it. Instead, it's the great beginning of real life. Uh, John 8, 51, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, he's saying, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Okay? That means death is conquered. Death is overcome. 
2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So that's just what it's like. It's like closing your eyes for a moment, opening them in the presence of God. And God gave Stephen this great testimony, even in the moment, even in that moment when he had this incredible vision of Jesus, he started telling everybody what he was experiencing. He said, Jesus, I see him right there standing at God's right hand. He's letting everyone know at the very end, Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. Our faith in Jesus isn't for nothing. Jesus is who he claims to be. And, and you know, uh, we know that in Mark 16, 19, it says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to his disciples, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And so this is confirmation that, that what Jesus says is true. Now, here's where it gets pretty. Um, this is what has really captured my mind the past couple of days as I've thought about this. These murderers, they absolutely lost their minds, okay? Look at the picture of what happens here in, um, in verse 57, okay? I don't want you to forget this because I've read this many times and, and not really thought a lot about this. But listen, at, at this, the, the religious leaders those standing around, they covered their ears, okay? I'm not listening. And they yelled at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So we see this crazy rejection. The persecutors were opposing a person who was trying to tell them the truth, who wanted them to be saved, who wanted their lives to be changed. That's why we're here today. We are here to bring hope and life to a world that is lost in confusion and desperation. When I think about this violent reaction, and I'm not listening and I'm yelling, I'm seeing all the, the images of the people who I've seen uh, video of who are, this is, this is the argument that the world has against the truth. And, you know, they, they're, they're not listening to reality. They're not listening to the truth. I want you to, um, I want you to hear this. Uh, the, this is the example of what I figure that moment sounded like. Check this out. Check this out. Yes. So <laughs> your argument makes perfect sense, right? Um, it's not even an argument. It's just screaming and yelling in the face of the truth. It's just pure hatred and pure anger and rage because of the, the, just the, the insanity of, the, of a world without Christ. And really, you know, Christ is ultimate reality. And if you miss Christ, you miss sanity. You miss the truth. And, and as believers, listen, we're not trying to tear down. We're trying to build up. We're, we want to offer true life. And um, the, we see how the world today is 
they've lost their minds. They're screaming at the top of their lungs to drown out any rational thought, any truth, or any reason. They're covering their ears with their hands. They're saying, we're not listening because we can't handle the truth. And so they rushed him as a mob, and they dragged him out, and they stoned him to get rid of the messenger so that they could continue living however they want to live instead of living for God. And then, you know, it was because they had this crazy leadership. Those who are leading the charge, leading the way, there are a lot of followers. And listen, followers, the people who are following along with the insanity of our culture, they're responsible for their their own decisions. But the leaders are the ones who are going to take the most responsibility because they are in active rebellion against God. They're not standing up against that Christian person. They're truly standing against God, okay? The, the, the person who took the lead, as it says, and this is the first picture we see of a guy that we're going to spend a lot of time with as we walk through Acts, this guy named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And this is the first time we see him, and he was taking the lead here in Stephen's murder. And and he, the Bible says, was actively standing against God. He thought he was doing the right thing, but he was doing the he was in rebellion to God. And it is dangerous to follow leaders who are actively living in rebellion against God because the the end of the path of rebellion is always destruction. That's the only destination. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 33, he said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And so they bear the ultimate responsibility. And so, but but the fact is we're all influencing someone. We're all leading other people with our lives, with our choices. So you want to make sure that you're leading people, pointing the way to Christ. But we see here, the believer's confidence. We see the confidence of standing in verse 59. While they were stoning him, while they, as they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So Stephen did go through pain and suffering, um, and he called out to God for help. And, and we have to understand that, yes, we're not promised a life free of pain or free of suffering, but it's through the suffering that we are given the grace and the strength to stand in the face of difficult trials, even those that would involve facing death itself. And so Stephen called on Jesus, and Jesus was there standing. He was ready to receive him because he desires for every believer to be with him, and that's why he humbled himself. That's why Jesus humbled himself and and came to earth and gave his life. He sacrificed his own life in death on the cross, and he wants you to be with him in heaven. And so Stephen called on Jesus to receive his spirit. So even in that moment, even at the very brink of death, Stephen was still trusting God's grace and the righteousness of Christ for his own salvation. He wasn't trusting his martyrdom. Hey, I'm giving my life. For Jesus, he's got to receive me. No, no, he was trusting in Jesus laying down his life. He wasn't trusting in his own good works or his own goodness. He was depending on Jesus. 
He trusted Jesus throughout his life. And so he could expect to trust and be with Jesus throughout eternity. And he was going to be where Jesus was. So he said, Jesus, receive me. Listen, it's so encouraging today to know. And I want to remind you that this world is not our home. Okay, don't get too comfortable here. We're just passing through. Heaven is our ultimate destination. We have a home in heaven and we are just passing through now. So don't get too comfortable. But then verse 60, this verse says that tells us that our response to people is to respond to our persecutors with love and with forgiveness. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen's very last act was to kneel in prayer and plead in mercy for his persecutors and even his murderers. And he was showing the same attitude that Jesus uh, prayed as he prayed that prayer on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen was filled with compassion for his persecutors. He wanted them to be saved. Yes, they were guilty. They had willfully, knowingly rejected God. They were hurting others, including killing Stephen. And in order to be accepted by God, their only option, their only hope was to turn from their sin and turn to God and receive his free gift of grace. Listen, if there was any other way for someone to be saved other than through Jesus, then Stephen wouldn't have needed to die as the first Christian martyr. Jesus wouldn't have needed to give his life if God was just going to accept people no matter what, just for being you know, better than the next guy, or hey, I meant well, you know, then God would never have allowed his son Jesus to die uh, on the cross. It's interesting because a lot of us, we're kind of picky about who we'll pray for. There was a poll that revealed that we, you know, we'll pray uh, 82% of the time for our family and friends. Our own problems and difficulties, we'll pray like 75% of the time. Our enemies, though, 37% of the time, Government leaders, 12% of the time. Listen, we need to be praying for our government leaders. Um, but strangely enough, uh, 36% of the participants said they pray for financial prosperity. 21% pray to win the lottery. 13% typically pray for their favorite sports teams to win. But Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us to pray for our persecutors, okay? And we need to remember that it's God who can change the heart. We can't do it. God's Spirit has to do it. And so we can then ultimately do what Stephen did and face life and death with courage and confidence, okay? Because it says, the final, the final word, when he said this, he fell asleep. The Bible uses that phrase, he fell asleep. There's no true death for a child of God. He just passes from this world into the next. That, that's an experience that is really nothing more than just falling asleep. In fact, many times sleep is used as a, a word that describes death for the believer. It's like closing your eyes and wake, waking up, opening them up again, and being in the presence of God for eternity. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, okay? I like to say, what are you going to do? Threaten me with heaven? Somebody comes after me to persecute me? Really? That You know what? That's a promotion. 
But for Christians, unforgiveness isn't an option. Matthew 5, I tell you, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, so um, here, here's the, here, let me just kind of land the plane here today. Soren Kierkegaard, who's a theologian and a philosopher, he wrote this. When one preaches Christianity in such a way that the echo answers, away with that man, he does not deserve to live. Know that this is the Christianity of the New Testament. Capital punishment is the penalty for preaching Christianity as it truly is. There are a lot of people today who say, can't we all just get along? You know, can't we come up with a way where everybody's going to like us and everybody's going to feel good because we're Christians and we love people and we're, we're just going to be nice and get along. But the fact is the world hates um, the truth. The world hates uh God in many ways. And so, you know, they, they like a version of God that they've come up with, but it's not the God of the Bible. It's not the true one and only God that we know. And when you stand for him and you stand on the truth, you're not going to get the applause of the world. Yeah, there was a time when that may have been true, but that time is long gone. And so we've got to decide, am I willing to stand on the truth, uncompromising stand for Jesus in our world today. All of us, I think, we want to go out in a blaze of glory like Stephen. We look at Stephen's life and we say, man, Jesus, I'll give my life for you. In that big moment, I'll lay down my life. But Jesus wants to know, will you lay down your life for me today in the small things, in the decisions that you make each and every day? And if you're not doing that on a daily basis, if I'm not doing that, what makes me think that I'm going to make the big sacrifice? I like to picture it this way. A lot of us, we like to um, you know, surrender our life to Christ, and we want to just take a big uh, amount of cash, like say what your life, you know, your whole life was worth. Let's just say it's $20,000 you know, or $100,000, and you're just like, here, God, here's my whole life. I'm giving it to you right now. But that's not how it works. The way that we give our life to Christ is we take that and we break it down to a nickel a day, a moment, a quarter. You know, we, we have this dime that we're saying, here's this moment, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. And then the next moment, here's another, here's another. And we give him our life each and every day in the small decisions that we make. And if you're doing that faithfully, as Stephen lived faithfully, then you can know that in that moment, when we're called on to make the big sacrifice, we're going to do exactly what we've always done. And that is to put Christ first in all things and to live for him as well as give our life for him. So let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for each person listening. God, I pray that we never have to face that kind of persecution. God, we know there are Christians all over the world facing persecution even in this moment. Give them courage to stand. Fill them with your spirit, God, and give them strength and confidence in you and the hope that you have prepared for them. But for us, God, even in a bigger way, God, you've called us to live for you, God, to, to hold back the tide of darkness sweeping over our culture. Give us the courage to speak the truth in love and to stand firm uncompromisingly, God, on your word in these days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to seeing you really soon. I hope you have a blessed week. Thanks so much.
Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast. Oh,